When her client refused and went public with her complaint that Ailes thwarted her career because she would not have sex with him, that opened the floodgates for other accusers, Smith said. Within days, numerous women came forward with similar harassment claims. Smith says her firm alone was eventually contacted by nearly 30 women. By bringing Fox into the light of day, we've been able to show how secrecy hurts all of us, Smith said. The scandal took a toll inside the news organization. There were a lot of mid-level staffers, especially women and minorities, who were, are, seriously considering leaving Fox, a Fox News staffer said on Thursday as the newsroom was still absorbing O'Reilly's departure. In her pursuit of O'Reilly, Bloom took a similar tact to the one used by Smith in her case against Ailes, pushing the story into the public realm as much as possible. Bloom, the daughter of famed publicity-savvy attorney Gloria Allred, gained enormous leverage when the Times published its blockbuster April 1 story about the O'Reilly settlements, but she feared that interest would fade. She needed to keep the buzz going, so she persuaded Wendy Walsh, a Los Angeles radio personality who had been a guest on O'Reilly's show, to hold a news conference on April 3rd. There were two goals, Bloom said, keep the story alive, but also draw out more accusers. A mediagenic psychologist with her own radio show, Walsh had no intention of suing, but did offer a compelling tale. She had made occasional appearances on Fox, but said O'Reilly dangled the idea of making her a regular contributor, which would have substantially raised her national profile. After a dinner in Los Angeles, she said, O'Reilly tried to lure her to his hotel room. She rebuffed him, she said, and not long thereafter, her opportunity to become a regular contributor evaporated. An O'Reilly representative would later call Walsh's story false. After Walsh's news conference, Bloom started hearing from other women, just as she had expected. At this point, something unusual happened. The usually aggressive Fox Public Relations squad fell atypically mute on the O'Reilly matter, issuing no statements in his defense. It was clear O'Reilly was on his own. He brought on his own spin team, including an old Clinton White House hand, Mark Fabiani. But in Bloom's estimation, he had made a big mistake. On the day the Times story hit, Bloom says, O'Reilly had handed her a beautiful gift-wrapped present in his public statement rebuffing the allegations. The statement said, Just like other prominent and controversial people, I'm vulnerable to lawsuits from individuals who want me to pay them to avoid negative publicity. But his statement rested part of his defense on a claim that no one had ever complained about him to the Human Resources Department or called in to an anonymous hotline. It was an aha moment for Bloom. After consulting a company handbook she had acquired during a previous case, she determined that Walsh was eligible to call the hotline, even though she was not a full-time employee. Bloom was so excited about the idea that the catchy disco-era song Hotline kept running through her head. Hotline, hotline, calling on the hotline. Bloom's staff videotaped Walsh's call to the hotline and sent the lengthy recording, which included spates of time when she was left on hold, to Walsh's tech-savvy nephew. He added it into a shorter version to share with the media, including the moment when the hotline operator asks Walsh to spell O'Reilly's name. On April 5th, Bloom posted the tape to her Facebook page. So now an official complaint was on the record, in just the form O'Reilly had deemed legitimate. On April 9th, Fox's parent company announced it was bringing in Paul, Weiss, Rifkind, Wharton, and Garrison, the same firm that looked into allegations against Ailes, to examine claims about O'Reilly. By April 11th, as more and more sponsors pulled their ads from the O'Reilly factor, the combative commentator announced his departure for what he called a long-planned vacation in Italy. According to Bloom, the attorneys brought in by Fox's parent company seemed to be in a hurry to close the books. They were very eager for everything to happen ASAP, she said. They were the ones pressing us to go, go, go. By the end, I thought they were looking for a reason to fire him. Still, she felt she needed more. Enter Burgess, the reluctant witness. 
Bloom could tell she would require delicate handling. Walsh was used to being in the public eye. Burgess was not. In mid-April, Bloom flew to North Carolina for dinner with a former Fox News clerical worker who said she had been subjected to O'Reilly's coarse comments. She left the meal thinking Burgess was on board, but the next morning, Bloom says Burgess called to say she had changed her mind. At that point, the lawyer brought up her Rosa Parks example. She put the question to Burgess like this. You mean to tell me that because of Twitter trolls, you're not going to stand up for what's right? Is that what you're telling me? Burgess came around. For the time, she would remain anonymous. And like Walsh, she had no intention of suing for damages. But knowing that the attorneys conducting an internal inquiry would be alerted, she agreed to call the hotline to outline her complaint, which dates back to her short tenure at Fox in 2008. And, just as crucially, she okayed allowing Bloom to put out the news. On Tuesday, Bloom sent out a headline-grabbing tweet, I represent a new woman who just phoned in a complaint of sexual and racial harassment against...